Hi, this is Dr. Steve Vargo, Optometric Practice Management Consultant with IDOC, and welcome to our latest episode of the IDOC Focal Point Podcast. And we're going to be talking about some exciting areas of eye care in this podcast, orthokeratology and myopia control. And I've got Dr. Paul Levine here with me. And Dr. Levine received his Doctor of Optometry degree in 1997 from the New England College of Optometry. Uh, Paul is also co-founder of Vision Care Specialists in Southboro, Massachusetts, where he practices primary care and has a special interest in orthokeratology. And he actively practices myopia control and specializes in difficult to fit contact lenses, including scleral and gas permeables. Uh, Dr. Paul is a fellow of the International Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control, and he's president of the board of directors of the American Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control. And Paul is also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. So you're a busy guy, Paul. How are you? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I, I, well, you know, it sounds busy, but, uh, you know, we make it work. It's most ODs that I know tend to be hard workers. <laughs> Yeah, very true, very true. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate your work in this area, and we'll jump right in. So we got an expert here with us. So, um, Paul, you obviously work and, and communicate with a lot of people who specialize in this area. You're, you're actively involved in, 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 this, in this specialty. But for someone interested in getting started, in ortho-K or myopia control. Can you tell us a little bit about how they would get started and maybe in particular, what educational resources are available to ODs? Well, as you can, um, as you see, every time you open up a new journal or, or, you know, an electronic journal, there's a lot of discussion lately about myopia control. It seems to be one of the faster growing areas in our optometric industry. Um, and so there's a lot of reading that can be done, and that's always a good place to start, you know, reading the articles, reading the journals, doing, listening to podcasts, and, and um, um, there are some online tools as well for, um, uh, for learning ortho-K specifically. A lot of the manufacturers do have online certification courses that you can take, and I think that's a good thing to do to get your mind start starting to work in that direction. Um, but of course, you know, it takes practical, you know, experience. So at some point you have to just decide to start fitting lenses or you have to start engaging um, patients in the myopia control discussions. There are, um, as I say, a multitude of, um, of places you can go uh, online in particular, but uh, there are also a lot of local, you know, live meetings that happen and um, seminars and, and conferences. And so probably the biggest one um, that we deal with in the U.S. is uh, is called Vision by Design, which is the um, American Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control's annual exam, uh, I'm sorry, annual um, conference. And of course, we, um, we delve deep into Ortho-K, we delve deep into soft contact lenses for myopia control. There'll be talk about spectacle correction um, with myopia control uh, as a, you know, as a goal, um, atropine, you know, the things that you've been hearing about more and more. And um, uh, in addition to that, 
Oh, that meeting will be in um, in May in San Antonio, May uh, 2019. at the 15th. Uh, it starts May 15th and it ends the Sunday the 19th. And um, and you can find out more about that at orthokmeeting.com. So that's my biased, uh, you know, place to go because that's absolutely the the number one place to go to get this, uh, you know, this information. If I do say so myself, um, I think it's also good to to find colleagues, local colleagues that uh, you might be friendly with, that are practicing actively myopia control in their practices. I, I know in my office, it's it's not uncommon for a local OD maybe to come in and spend a few hours with me and see how I go about doing what I do. Um, so that's, I think, a really good way to, to you know, to kind of get into it. Great. Yeah, I, and I can attest to the vision by design because I attended that years ago in Chicago, and it's, it's a fantastic meeting, and I, I couldn't recommend that highly enough to people interested in these areas. And, and the visiting an office is... I think a great idea as well. And that's something I've actually recommended to several doctors interested in getting involved in a specialty is to visit a practice that's successful in that area, but is not a competitor of yours. I don't care how far you have to drive to get out of your area, uh, but but go if you if it's the next state over, but find somebody who's successful in that area and ask them if you can just kind of shadow them, hang out in their office, see how they do things. I find that most people that are really successful at something and in some particular segment of eye care, really like to talk about it and, and, and like to help others. Um, Paul, from an investment standpoint, again, maybe on the, uh, in the area of getting started in ortho-K, myopia control, what equipment is necessary to provide these services? Well, you know, the absolute number one piece of equipment that you're gonna need if you're doing ortho-K without question is a topographer. And it should be a robust topographer. You know, um, th there are there are so many topographers on the market, and um, you know, many of them are sort of combo topographer, auto refractors, you know, things like that. But it really does behoove you to get a solid um, topographer. I, I, probably the the three most used and respected topographers in the world of orthokeratology are the Medmont, the uh, Keratron Scout and um, the Pentacam, um, you know, the Keratograph by uh, Oculus. Um, so you really do need that. A lot of um, a lot of manufacturers and a lot of um, experts might suggest to you that you can do orthokay without a topographer. And to a degree, that's true. You can put lenses on eyes and you can dispense lenses without topography, but you really just have no good idea of exactly what's happening on the cornea and, and, and how well centered your treatment zones are and how effective your treatment is. Um, and so you, you really can't troubleshoot without one. So it is the standard of care to practice with the topographer. So that's number one. And that's the big ticket item, right? Um, the other things that you, you know, that you'll need, uh, you probably already have a lot of what you need because, you know, you need starter kits, you know, for, for care and you, and you need all the, you know, general things that you do in a, in a regular primary care, you know, contact lens practice. Um, and then you have to decide which lenses you're going to fit and which lenses you're going to use. And, and, and some require trial fitting sets and, and others don't. So, you know, there may be a capital investment needed to be made there into the trial fitting set. 
Um, and then probably the other place that you're going to spend some cash is, uh, you know, sad to say, but like on redos, um, you know, the companies generally have decent warranties, but if you're fitting patients and it takes you, you know, maybe two or three different sets of lenses, you may end up paying a little bit more for that set, you know, for those lenses because you had to, even with warranty, you had to maybe, you know, replace them two or three times. Um, but you chalk that up to the cost of education. And then, of course, the, the final thing that you need to probably consider spending some money on is education and, and trying to get yourself to conferences and, uh, you know, and that's that's time out of the office and that's travel expenses. But I think it's worth it. Sure, sure. And as far as the technology of the lenses themselves, um, the technology has obviously improved a lot since we, we graduated around the same time. And I, I think there's been a lot of advancements in the, the lenses themselves. And I'm just wondering if you can describe those advancements uh, that have been made in this area and how have these improvements impacted outcomes with patients? Yeah, it's, it's all in the customizability. I'm sorry um, if that came through. Um, it it's the customizability of lenses. So you know the early well, of course, you know Ortho K really began as a daytime treatment. You know, way back when, before you and I even were in school, I think. Um, but once the reverse geometry lens was invented, and and you know that would have been. I don't know the exact dates, but somewhere in the probably late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then, of course, it gained approval in 2002 by the FDA. But once overnight Ortho-K really came in and the reverse geometry lens was utilized, that's kind of when, the, when, when the, the treatment really started to become effective. But back in those days, they were using essentially what they called three-curve designs, um, you sort of had your base curve and then you had your steeper reverse curve and then you had your flatter, you know, landing curve, if you will. Um, and that there was some limits there as to the amount of myopia, the amount of astigmatism you could correct. And so the newer uh, versions of these reverse geometry lenses have incorporated multiple curves. You can you can go up to as many as, you know, 10 or 11 curves with some design. So when you have that level of customizability, you can really customize a lens to a cornea, and then you can start approaching higher prescriptions and, and higher amounts of astigmatism. And then, of course, that's, we're talking about vision correction there. But when you talk about myopia management and myopia control, We've also learned that trying to make the treatment zones smaller and trying to get the treatment zones within the, the pupil borders um, is an important component of controlling the myopia. So that's, that's probably the latest adaptation is understanding treatment zone size. And now we have the ability to make those treatment zones um, even smaller than we had in the past. Okay. Okay. The, you know, there's, it, some practitioners dabble in these specialty areas. They go to a course, they they read something, they think that this could be a, a part of my practice, but yet they struggle to make it a big part of the practice for, for maybe a, a variety of reasons. But for practices that truly want to make this a significant part of their practice, um, where would you suggest that they focus their efforts? Well, your your mindset has to be right from the get-go, and you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people do dabble, and it's hard to become really proficient at something um, if you're just dabbling in it. And so, you know, sadly, I think people might 
you know, take a course or, or here or there and they, and they may um, fit a patient or two or three and maybe one of them didn't turn out great and now they're questioning it and then, you know, it just sort of becomes something that, you know, goes on to the back burner so that, you know, they're not actively promoting it. So you're absolutely right. Like with something like this, you can't really dabble. I mean, you've got to, uh, you've got to get your mind set to do it. And I know for me, you know, we talked about the capital investment that you have to make and, and, you know, buying that topographer and traveling around for education and, and all that stuff. Um, I know for me, when, once I decided I was going to do that, I was, it was my purpose was to make that investment. You know, I wanted the return on that investment. So I just kept pushing. I was going to make this happen. I was going to, um, you know, really focus on making this a primary part of my practice. And then once you really start to get into it and you see the, the, the amazement of your patients and, and to be honest with you, it's a miraculous thing. I mean, even to this day, you know, hundreds of patients in every time I do a new fit, I'm still blown away by the process that it, you know, how well it works and how happy the people are. And, and so that, you know, that becomes your, your motivator you know, it's really helping people and, and doing something that is unique and cool and different. So I think you just get really fired up about it. You get charged up about it and it's fun and it's exciting. So, you know, I, I really think it's it's about your mindset going into it. And and you really need staff buy-in because you you can't be the sort of mad scientist in the back room. You know, you need your whole staff to be involved and you need your staff to be able to answer the questions that the patients invariably ask at the front desk when you're in the back doing your mad science. Um, so that's, I think, a really important component, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when, if people ask me about a specialty and if this makes sense for their practice, I ask them a question that I don't think they're prepared to answer or weren't expecting. But I'll, I'll often ask them if they're interested in that area, because one thing I consistently find is that doctors practices that really excel in these areas, whatever that is, whether it's vision therapy, myopia control, sports vision, whatever their area that is, there is a, there's a certain passion around that, um, around that specialty. If I go to the successful practices, they're usually really uh, passionate about vision therapy or ortho K, whatever it is. It describes you. I, Paul, I'm going to write down some words that you said in that last statement. Purpose, amazement, miraculous, fired up, blown away. You don't use those words about something you're just kind of lukewarm about. So I, I think the mindset part is really uh, key to this, not just being something you dabble in, but is this something you're truly interested in? And that's going to drive you to that next level. So great insight there. Um, and what about marketing, Paul? Do you see... Um, how do you market this? I mean, do you see much return on external marketing or is this more of a, a word of mouth practice builder? Oh, it's, it is by far a word of mouth um, operation. I mean, it really is because I, most of the marketing is really done in the office and, and in the chair. I mean, uh, you know, so you talk to every myopic, you know, parent, you know, you know, the kid's myopic and the parent's sitting in the chair. And you may not necessarily have time to engage in a very long conversation, but you certainly can use, you may broach the subject and, 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 uh, and plant a seed. So, 
um, in your discussion of of your findings, you know, you may you may say things like, "Well, we we can treat this with you know this approach, that approach, or the other approach." And when you say ortho K or corneal molding or corneal refractive therapy or whichever um, terminology you use, they might look at you a little funny. And then you you know, but you can give them a a, a, a two to three minute quick description of it. Um, and they may say, that's really interesting. I'd love to come back and, and, and be evaluated for that. Or they just sort of store it away. And when you see the kids six months later or a year later, they're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, what was that thing you talked about? So that's kind of the first avenue, I think. But once you actually start fitting people, they go tell their friends, you know, th there's no better advocate for your practice than a happy mom and a happy dad um, because they go tell their friends. And so, you know, you fit a kid who's on the swim team um, and suddenly he is not wearing glasses or contact lenses and can see clearly when he's in the pool, you know, that's going to grow, right? That's going to spread. People are going to come in um, for that. So, so that kind of marketing I think is really important. Um, it's also good in your office to have maybe things up on the wall or brochures or pamphlets or things that you can hand out. And it's, and I recommend making those more customized than kind of standardized. Um, you know, and you can take standardized things and you can add your own customization to it as well. So I think that's a, you know, people like to take something home with them to, to mull over their, their options. So, so that's really the internal marketing and, and, um, and of course, externally, you know, you're going to have this on your website and, and I would again recommend, you know, having it not just be a little throwaway page on your website, but have it be a landing spot. Um, have some video testimonials on there or some kind of video describing the, the process, you know, that's a great way to go about doing some external marketing. Myself personally, like I haven't done the newspaper thing and I haven't um, really done that, you know, kind of a, uh, an external marketing campaign, if you will. But I know a lot of doctors are really successful with um, getting your, trying to get yourself on maybe a local news broadcast or, or, or maybe writing an article in a local newspaper is a, is a good thing to do. Um, and then maybe going out and doing some, um, some Q and A's in the, you know, in your neighborhood is a, is, is a good idea. And a lot of doctors do that too. So, you know, you, you may go to a, a maybe, uh, like a local, uh, Lions Club meeting or something like this, you know what I mean? Where you can then kind of express your expertise and then you can generate some, uh, some interest that way. Sure. Um, it's, you know, you mentioned something about people, uh, you know, mentioning this and, and you sometimes get kind of a funny look when you'd mention terms like orthokeratology, these areas have obviously grown. They've grown. And I'm maybe just going back to the time I graduated, we graduated, um, mm -hmm. it grown in terms of awareness, grown in terms of more ODs fitting, more interest in the eye care community. But we're still at a time, at least in the U.S., where if I pulled 10 people off the street and, and mentioned the terms like orthokeratology or myopia control, I'm going to get that funny look. Um, yeah. I'm interested in your perspective on um, the future. And maybe this is more directed at the younger OD coming out of school right now, looking at how do I differentiate myself? What do some of these specialized areas look like? Um, what do you see as the future of ortho-K, of myopia control over the next, let's say, five to 10 years and beyond? Well, I think that there will be, 
I think there'll be steady growth <clears throat> and I think there'll be increased interest. I, I think that, um, you know, from a myopia management standpoint, I think you're going to have probably more doctors adopting the soft uh, bifocal contact lens modality and the atropine modality, you know, because those are things that don't require a significant um, investment in education and learning and time. Um, I don't mean to suggest that any of that is easy or to be taken lightly because these, this is a different type of management. I mean, if, if you're fitting a patient in a soft bifocal contact lens, it doesn't mean you just fit them like any old regular contact lens patient see them in a year. I mean, you are managing their myopia. You need to see them a couple of times a year. You should be taking axial length measurements and, um, and really understanding, you know, what, what type of, uh, you know, efficacy, um, you're having, uh, that, so I see that area growing probably faster than the ortho K area, but you know, the ortho K area will grow and it will continue to grow and it's been growing. And, and I, you know, as, as somebody that, that leads the local, you know, the, the U S organization of experts in this, you know, I can see the growing interest every day. Um, people inquiring, people asking, people wanting to learn more. So I think ortho K will grow. And I think you're right. I think the younger OD is wanting to do something a little bit more technologically challenging, um, a little bit more exciting. And, and you're right. It's, uh, I think differentiation of practice is a, is a really important component. Um, and once you have your first few successful cases, you just realize like how much fun this is and, and this is what you want to do. So um, I, I think that segment will grow, but I, I don't, I'd like to see ortho K be the primary approach because I think it's the best approach. I think it's the most effective approach. Science has, uh, you know, just about proven that. Um, but you're also doing so much more than just controlling the nearsightedness and managing the nearsightedness. You're also giving people the freedom of being able to see clearly, not through corrective lenses. So it's like a double win-win. So I think once people really understand that and sort of get to that point, then fourth okay will grow. But there's always going to be that, there's always that fear, you know, that whatever it is that you're doing might cause complications, might cause infections. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of old information out there about safety profiles. Um, but um, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think you manage those um, potential complications the same way you manage every other contact lens patient that you have. So I think that gets a little bit overblown. And if that's what keeps people away from ortho okay, I think they need to revisit the safety profiles. There's plenty of studies on it. Paul, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. This was great. Um, this is an exciting area in the future of eye care and uh, we appreciate your leadership and all the great things that you're doing in these areas. Well, thanks for having me. It's fine. You know, I could, as you can tell, I can talk about this all day long. So <laughs> um, I'm happy to do it. And, and I, I, I do thank you for uh, inviting me to have this chat. It's great. Thank you. And this concludes our latest episode of the Focal Point podcast. And I hope everyone has a great day.